Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. If America's talking about it, we're talking about it. You're listening to our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground. Blog Talk Radio. I'm Janice Grant. This is Our Common Ground. Alternative activist empowerment talk radio. Speaking truth to ours and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens! Coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. And I'll be listening for you. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for being with us here at Our Common Ground. This is not just common ground. This is our common ground, a place where we bring sacred, our political, our cultural, our family, and community hopes and disappointments. I'm Janice Graham, and I am so pleased and honored to host Our Common Ground. This is not a show. This is not just a broadcast. This is a progressive place in which we take time to be mindful about our past, our future, and where we are today. Thank you so much for joining us, and if you'd like to join us in our chat room, it is open. You can come to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we're going to be talking justice and peace. We're going to be looking at the attack on both our public policy and civil rights and the policies which govern them. Our guest is Barbara Arnwine. She is no stranger to Our Common Ground. She is the Executive Director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, and she has been the Executive Director since 1989. She is internationally renowned for contributions 
on critical justice issues, including the passage of the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1991. She's a graduate of Duke University Law School. She continues to champion and be on the front line on our behalf for civil rights issues nationally and internationally. And and she is a true and authentic modern-day drum major for peace and justice. On our common ground tonight, sister warrior, soldier, drum major for justice and peace, Barbara Arnwine, the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Thank you for joining us to talk about payday lending, voter registration, voter rights, redistricting, judicial diversity. We're talking justice tonight with a contemporary true warrior and drum major for peace and justice. Thank you for being with us. Under Law. It is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization and was formed in 1963 at the request of President John F. Kennedy to involve the private bar in providing legal services to address racial discrimination. Part of the major objectives of the committee is to use the skills and resources of the bar to obtain equal opportunity for minorities by addressing factors that contribute to racial justice and economic opportunity. Given our nation's history of racial discrimination, de jure, segregation, and the de facto inequities that persist, the Lawyers Committee's primary focus is to represent the interests of African Americans in particular other racial and ethnic minorities, and other victims of discrimination, where doing so can help to secure justice for all racial and ethnic minorities. And we are so privileged to be able to have with us the director of the Lawyers Committee. We hope that you will support the Lawyers Committee uh, in, in your local area. You can look for the work that the Lawyers Committee is doing in where you live. And we hope that you will support their efforts and and especially support them by bringing them what they need from us to do the work. And when I say that, our guest tonight, Barbara Arnwine, is a modern-day drum major for justice and peace. I say it in the shadow of the legacy of Martin Luther King and Fannie Lou Hamer and Rosa Parks and Ida B. Wells. 
because since 1989 she has led this organization into the courts of our country to ensure that what we have we do not lose. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm suggesting to you tonight that there is an attack on the civil rights landscape. And I'm asking you to pay attention, to look at the issues. We're going to be talking with Ms. Arnwine about where we're losing, where we're gaining, and where we must hold up the fort. You got to put your armors on. You got to become a warrior. And in the words of somebody down there in Tennessee, and I can't remember, I think maybe it might be muddy waters, you don't miss your water until your well runs dry. So let's begin to put our eye and our armor towards civil rights tonight. Our number is 347-838-9852, and we hope that you will join us in this conversation. Right after this, we'll be talking with Barbara Ornwine, who is the Executive Director of the Lawyers' Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. At our common ground tonight, we're asking the question, are we seeing the erosion of many, many decades of struggle for civil rights in America. Does it make you want to holler? once again at Our Common Ground. It's my pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, our people come come to you and other leaders across this country with heavy hearts in this dismal time. Yes, these are exceptional times. 
exceptionally challenging times for people of color throughout this country. Now, I, I've reviewed, uh, Barbara, with our audience the work of the Lawyers Committee. And you have so many initiatives that you're working on. You're working on the issues of redistricting and voter registration and foreclosure and, and <laughs> community development and education and fair housing. Jobs, jobs, jobs. <laughs> and jobs, jobs, jobs. What is the most pressing of the issues before us right now, in your opinion? Well, I would say the two, I mean, there's, you know, the big three just jumps up at you. You know, the um, obviously the unemployment situation is hard. Um, the, you know, incredible uh, displacement of African Americans out of the labor force, especially African American men, is the most significant we've ever seen in our history. We have never had such a low labor uh, workforce participation rate in our entire history of being in this country. Um, this is, you know, extremely distressing. The other, um, you know, also I'm extremely concerned about, you know, the African American youth unemployment, you know, at being recognized as being at least, you know, 39%, but by most uh, sophisticated economists estimated to be around 54% because, uh, as we know, if you're young and you come into the labor market and you have no opportunity to work within the first three years of your, uh, of, you know, of your availability, that your chances of getting permanent employment become extremely dis, uh, diminished and you, it's hard for you to catch up for your actual, you know, working labor value in subsequent years to come. So it's it's a very distressing, you know, situation. Uh the second and and I should add about jobs was so bad is that so little is being done about it. Uh mm -hmm. that neither party has, you know, a number one jobs bill that they're supporting. Uh that they are, you know, pushing, promoting that the administration uh has no jobs bill that it is uh, promoting uh, and saying that it you know stands behind uh, that that is the tragedy and that people are running for office and they're talking about quote the need for jobs but nobody's talking about a job bills or any pragmatic way by which jobs are going to be generated and created the time for talking is over there's a great proposal that uh, you know uh, Congressman Clyburn and the Congressional Black Caucus and uh, has been pushing for years around jobs that really makes a lot of sense. There's a wonderful proposal that um, has come out of you know the National Urban League that Mark Morial has been pushing for years on you know creating jobs and there's a fantastic proposal that uh, Congresswoman Jen. Chikovsky just introduced on Friday that would create 2.2 million jobs uh, and would be paid for by new taxes on the you know rich and on you know corporations. So there's a lot of you know good ideas out there. The problem is is that no one and no party has embraced them and said this is our number one priority. The uh, second uh, problem is clearly the the assault on voting rights. Uh, you know, our people are largely unaware 
and uh, and frankly, this is an assault that is directed at African Americans, uh, and it's directed at Latino voters, and it's directed at uh, youth voters. I mean, those are the targets, and basically. These are, you know, Republican-led state legislatures, and I say Republican-led because for the most part, that's who's been uh, coming up with these really horrid laws. And what they do is they basically make it extremely hard for people to register to vote and for people to actually vote. So in eight states in this country, Wisconsin, Indiana, Tennessee, North Carolina, I'm sorry, Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Kansas, and Texas, they have passed uh, these restrictive voter identification laws that says that the only form of photo identification that you can use to uh, at a poll in order to be able to register or to actually vote is a driver's license or another identification that was issued by the Department of Motor Vehicles. Now, mind you, in all of these states, they have thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of students who have state-issued identifications, photo identifications uh, that were issued by their universities. They will not accept those. Uh, People in these same states have employee photo identification. Think about it. If you work for the state, you got a photo identification, usually that you wear as a badge on your clothing. Uh, that's not acceptable. Uh, the whole point here is not to you know, make it safe to vote or to make sure that people are who they say they are, but it's really to make it hard for people to vote. And the rationale is this. I want everybody listening to think about it. In 2008, there were 25 million voters who did not vote in 2010. 25 million. The majority of the House races that um, were conducted in 2010, people won by less than 2,000 votes. If the 25 million returned to the electorate, for 2012, as is predicted that they will do, because these most people vote for presidential elections and don't vote in the midterms, uh, the House flips back because the majority of the people who are in that 25 million are what they call Obama voters. So what these state legislatures are doing, they're saying, okay, you know, you didn't vote in 2010, and what we're going to do is make it impossible for you to vote uh, in 2012 by erecting these barriers. So not only is it the photo identification laws, it's also these laws in states like Florida and other words that says things um, such as, you know, voter registration groups must turn in any voter registration form within 48 hours of having acquired it. Now, if you've ever done a voter registration drive, you know that's almost impossible. Uh, to coordinate and to turn in. So as a consequence, Mm -hmm. in Florida, the League of Women Voters said, we're out. Mm -hmm. And then the Boy Scouts have said, we're out. We're not going to register people because we're not going to be hauled into court 
and fined and imprisoned because we didn't turn in these registration forms when in the past we've been given two weeks and nobody's shown that's a problem. Uh, so it's And in the state of Ohio, uh, they just show how onerous all of this is, in Ohio they actually passed a law that says that if somebody shows up in the in uh, they uh in to vote and they're at the wrong precinct even though the precinct may be right uh, in the same building or right across the hallway that an elected official is prohibited by law from telling you that you're in the wrong where precinct, precinct yeah. and where the right precinct where to is go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that is insane mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and most that's, people in large cities, there. I, I know at my voting <laughs> place there are six yeah. precincts. Exactly. In the same in the same basement. So if people show up, and you know, and you're at the wrong table, and the, and the right table's next door, but you can't tell that person that. So what they end up doing is casting what's called a provisional ballot, and a provisional ballot, remember, can only be counted if you cure whatever the flaw is. So for most people, if they vote in the wrong precinct, there is no cure. You know, that means Mm -hmm. that your ballot will be, they're going to allow you to vote provisionally, but then when it comes time for counting the ballots, they're going to tear them up. Mm -hmm. So it's it's those vicious kinds of things. And I want to say that it's very clear that, that all of this is politically motivated, because if you look in Texas, which is one of the you know photo identification laws saying that the only photo identification that is acceptable in their state is a you know Department of Motor Vehicle registration, but guess what else they allow people to show? They all, they have one other one other acceptable identification. That is a handgun registration. My God. <laughs> so no students, your student ID isn't good enough. Your state governmental workers, you know, that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all the other identifications that people uh, you know, use to vote the current legislatures into power aren't good enough, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, your utility bills, your, you know, your uh, you know, you know all of the other, you know, identifications, you know, so many of us have. Uh, aren't good enough. Your federal worker ID and all these identifications you have, none of them are good enough. The only thing is this, you know, Department of Voter Vehicle issued identification or a handgun registration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it people don't 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 forget that a um, uh, uh, motor vehicle identification also costs money. Oh, not uh, talk talk to me about it. So what they've done is that five years ago, the lawyers committee sued the state of Georgia uh, for coming up with one of these photo identification laws and making people pay uh, to have a photo ID. And we said that's a poll tax. Remember mm-hmm. that the Voting mm-hmm. Rights Act of 1965 got rid of literacy tests, grandfather clauses, and poll taxes. Exactly. And we said, well, this is a new poll tax. And what happened was the court agreed with us and said, this is a poll tax. 
So what Georgia went back and did and what all these other states are doing is that they're saying, okay, well, we will make, we will pay for the voter identification. So if you need to uh, to have, if you don't have one of these voter identifications, then it will be free. But guess what? Guess what's happening? People are showing up in Wisconsin and they're saying, I want a, you know, I need a voter, ident- a new photo identification, and I understand it's for free, and they're saying, no, you're not eligible. And then when people are challenging them and saying, well, why am I not eligible, they're saying, oh, well, you didn't say the magic words. You didn't say that you <laughs> needed a free identification in order to vote, that if you don't say those words, then you're not eligible. Uh, this is after, you know, people have challenged them. Uh, you know, and and the stories are legion. I mean, remember that in order, it's, it's a catch-22. In order for most people to get a driver's license or a uh, non-driver's, you know, um, photo identification from a Department of Motor Vehicles, you have to show a birth certificate. Mm-hmm. And remember that getting a birth certificate is not easy. Uh, you know, for people who live in a city, and it's not and, free. And it's not free, not at all. <laughs> and in some states, quite expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and the easiest way for most people to get a birth certificate is that you have to have a computer, and you better have a credit card, mm-hmm. uh, because that's how you know the majority of birth certificates are issued now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is mm-hmm. by you know that kind of a request uh, when. And most people know, don't know where to go. Exactly. So in some, in some states, you go to the Department of Health. In right. some states, you go to City Hall. Right. And some, you go to the, you know, the, the Department of Records and deeds. Right. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's all different. And the problem is, is that for many elderly people who were born in rural areas, guess what? There are no birth certificates. Exactly. exactly. Because they have midwives. Yeah. And so, you know, in South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, Alabama, Tennessee, many of these states, if yeah. you talk to people over 50, uh, they don't have a exactly. They don't have I a didn't birth have a birth certificate until I was 15 years old. <laughs> and that My was sister. because the white doctor that serviced the community where I was born <laughs> never filed the pa- never filed the papers. <laughs> well, well, you know, I you know I come from a big family. There are twelve of us in my are my family, and my sister, uh, we you know called her Joyce all our lives. And when we got her birth certificate when she was an adult, we found out that she was baby uh, Jane Doe. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And yes. it, to, it was unnamed, so we had to uh-huh. go through all kinds yeah. of things. To I was get born her on a migrant a farm. farm one. <laughs> <laughs> so he just probably took the name and then took the papers and put it in the trunk of his car, never to be seen ever again. And and it's real. And what people, you know, a lot of people when I talk about this, they say, well, you know, what's so hard about getting a uh, photo identification. Don't you need it in order to buy liquor? Don't you need it in order to fly? Don't you need it in order to, you know, cash a check? You know, isn't this, you know, this is just, you know, easy stuff. You know, what's the, what's, what's all this fuss about? And the point is, is that those of us who are privileged and we are lucky enough in this society to own a car uh, and they have the money for gas, I should add. 
Yeah. And we can get along and we got a job and we you know, we can get around. Uh it's not a big issue for us. Mm-hmm. But the people for whom it is a huge issue are the the people who don't own a car in this society. You know, remember uh people, just think back with me, uh to, to August of two thousand and five. Who were the people who were caught at the Superdome? Uh-huh. uh-huh. The majority were people who honestly did not own a car. There yeah. were some people who had cars and did not evacuate when Katrina came, but there were the vast majority of the people just did not own a car. They had and no the, way out. Had no way out. And in the so why would you have a driver's license if you don't own a car? In fact, in the state of Wisconsin, 50% of all black men in the entire state do not have driver's licenses. Nor any other photo identification uh, mm-hmm. issued by the Department of Motor Vehicle. In the city of Milwaukee, 78% of black men between the ages of 16 and 35 do not have driver's licenses. And that's an indictment of our society that people are, you know, that destitute that mm-hmm. we don't, mm-hmm. you know, have the jobs because of that 50% unemployment rate in all these urban cities for black men and not that much better for black women. And I just want to point out that this is a confluence of the worst circumstances. You're talking about a perfect storm of evil. It's the perfect storm of economic deprivation being layered with barriers using that economic deprivation to deny you the right to vote. And that's not acceptable. Now, on this whole thing, when people talk about, well, you've got to have it to, you know, fly, et cetera, first of all, I want everybody to hear me, that first of all, we're not talking about some commercial right. We're talking about your voting right, your fundamental right to participate in our democracy. There's only one entity that offers you the right to vote, and that's the state on Election Day. You don't have a choice of stores to go to. You don't have a choice of, you know, of different, you know, places that you may, you know, bank at. There's one choice when it comes to voting, and that is your designated voting, you know, area and the state administers it. That's the first point. The second point is that a lot of this is nonsense. If you want to fly, you don't have to have a driver's license. Think about it. How many of you have stayed, stood in line and watched children fly? They don't have a driver's license. I'm sorry. They don't have a photo identification. I see parents all the time vouching and showing, uh, you know, um, uh, dedications and baby, uh, you know, baptismal certificates all the time. If you've ever been in line behind families, you see what they produce. They don't produce all of They can't produce a driver's license. So that's one that's nonsense. Secondly, if you're an adult, and you don't have a driver's license, you can use all other kinds of, of ID because I've known people to do it. I've yep. known my own workers have done it. You know, people who work with me have done it, have flown without a driver's license. So don't believe that. That's just nonsense. TSA is required to accept other forms of identification. So I just, you know, so it's wrong to, you know, fall for this okie doke of, oh, you got to have one because that's not true. And unfortunately in our society, because 
so many people are destitute. They live in an informal world. I know, you know, countless numbers of my nephews and nieces who don't have banking accounts. Uh, you know, you know they, you know, people go to these payday lenders. They go to these uh, check cashing places, and though, and they produce all kinds of, you know, optional ID. So yeah, don't, you know, fall Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, people, you know, I mean, let's face it. I looked at my bank statement the other day, and I had something like, whew, probably, you know, 70 transactions in one month of, you know, of just, you know, buying this, buying that, paying this bill, paying that, yeah. whatever I did, and only two of those were checks. Everything else was a... Debit was card. Me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in a couple of years from now, checks won't exist for all practical purposes because banks rather that you use a debit card uh, for many reasons. I, we, we'll get that's another story, but uh, but they are trying to get rid of checks and go to what they call a paperless, you know, transaction society. I so, know. You look at what the biggest banks are doing, and you can deposit by using a camera. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, look at, I mean, just you can buy all these apps now and just, you know, hold the app up to pay for yep. things. Yep. Uh, you know, you don't have to, you know, I mean, all of this nonsense uh, that has nothing to do with, and nobody's asking you for an ID. No one. Uh, so, you know, that's just, you know, it's just crazy that we we fall for these simplistic answers. And then they say, oh, well, the reason why we need these uh, voter identification laws is because people uh, might commit voter fraud. Might commit voter fraud. Now, my, mind you, they all got elected <laughs> without any of these laws being in place. And it was yeah. good enough that none of them are standing up and saying, oh, my election was invalid. Uh, and, because and, was, you know, <laughs> one of the interesting parts of it is that the big I've done literally hundreds of voter registration campaigns. Yes. Yeah. And one of the biggest holes in the voter registration campaign, uh, voter reg- registration process, is the absentee ballot. Yes. But they're not asking for ID for absentee ballots. Never. And it is, and there's a reason why, because the majority of absentee ballot voters are white. It's very racial. They're yes. white and they're conservative. It's very racial, very political. Uh, you know, and, and remember that it's not just because they hate blacks that um, they're trying to block, you know, African Americans and Latinos, by the way, because they make it doubly hard for Latinos to vote. Not only do they have these photo identification requirements, they also have these proof of citizenship requirements that uh, get racially profiled against, you know, Latinos. Latinos. But, mm-hmm. but the, but the, and and they're also going after youth voters. You know, and trying to do legislation to make it harder for, you know, young people to vote. Mm -hmm. And the whole Mm -hmm. reason is because all of these are the most progressive voters in the country. The the most progressive voter in the United States in 2008 was an African-American between the ages of 18 and 40. The most progressive voter in the United States. And, and we could even translate that into the people who helped elect Barack Obama. That's what this is all about. 
sat no in accident what, that it's all about 2012. About. It's no accident right. that, that a lot of these laws, by the way, uh, even in states where they have elections in uh, 2011, you know, there are some elections that will be held this November. Uh, a lot of these states, these laws don't come into effect until 2012. That's right. Uh, so, that's you right. know, once again, they're, you know, very, very um, set. So that's the second big hurdle for us. And okay. because it's imperative, and I can, you know, we can talk more about what we need to do about these laws. And how do we, you know, answer these situations? Because I'm not just going to talk about the problems. You know, I'd love to talk about what's what kind of solutions we need to execute in these times. Uh, the third big, you know, challenge area is education. Uh, you know, there's no doubt that when you look at, uh, you know, our educational system across the country, it is in disarray, our public education system. And even... You know, even, you know, unfortunately, even the charter school network is not what people think it is. It's also Mm -hmm. not producing the, you know, caliber, you know, of highly, you know, uh, educated Mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. I thought in today's newspaper, in the Washington Post, in, I'm sorry, yesterday's newspaper and today, it talks about how the state of Virginia and the state of Virginia Eighty percent of the schools, eighty percent of the schools, fail to meet the no child left behind standards on you know instruction and learning. Mm-hmm. That is a tragedy, and frankly, you know people say, well, the charter schools did better. No, they did not. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the majority of charter schools perform exactly in the same way as public schools do. Parents just think they're getting a better bargain. But the grades, the instructional levels, the performance on tests, etc., for the vast majority of charter schools are identical to the performance for the public schools. Uh, there are, you know, of course, some exceptional you know, charter schools. There are some exceptional public schools. They're about equal in number. Uh, and and they have a lot in common, you know, that they come from, you know, areas where you have extremely, you know, well-to-do, you know, uh, parents, extremely well-to-do, you know, households with generations of college-educated people. I mean, they all they have a lot of in common, uh, which is to to this day, unfortunately, still the best predictor of educational success uh, in our country. So I just, you know, so the area of, you know, the hyper-segregation that exists, not only Mm -hmm. in race, but also poverty concentration. Mm -hmm. One of the the newest lines of studies that have been done in this country shows that if your child goes to a school and the majority of the people around him or her are impoverished, and do not have, you know, high incomes. The school doesn't have a mix of classes and, a, you know, of uh, you know income classes and a mix of people with, you know, from different incomes and different backgrounds. That that one factor decreases the academic achievement for those students, depresses the academic achievement for those students significantly. And I can, you know, you can talk about it. I remember in, um, I went to give a speech 
a, a number of years ago, and I hope the situation is different now, to a school. And I was talking to, you know, the, this this class of, uh, you know, really exceptional um, students, uh, high school students who were getting ready to go to college. And so I was, and they asked me questions about, you know, college and about, you know, all kinds of things. And I said, well, you know, one of the odd things that's happened, you know, in college education now is that a lot of schools require that when you come to, to college that you have a laptop and that uh, so that you can keep up with, you know, the, the instruction um, and be able to log on. And, and they just looked at me like I was an alien. <laughs> and and I realized they had never seen a laptop computer at that point, even though schools were requiring it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Wake Forest and a number of universities had that as a requirement, and it just hit me, the technological gap. Yes. The technology gap, you know, how severe it is. And, uh, you know, and that's, and that's once again the reason why none of those students knew what I was talking about because they all came from a very, very impoverished neighborhood. And mm-hmm. they didn't have other students who were well-to-do walking around showing off their laptops, uh, which you would have had in a school with more economic integration. So economic integration is a huge problem. And I keep seeing it. I keep seeing it. I keep seeing it. You know, the children who walk around with, you know, iPads. You know, they got, you know, heck, they don't have no just iPad. They got the iPad too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and other kids have no idea. They don't. They have. They never seen a tablet. They don't have a, you know, an iPad. And uh, we take for we take that for granted. I think. Yes. In yes. our community, that we we don't think beyond our immediate. Surroundings. Yes. And absolutely. It, it, it causes such a tremendous distance in how we think about what we need for our community. And what's and how we think about community to. development. Absolutely. And I mean it's it's real and it's uh you know, it's incredibly important. Uh, you know, because think of you know, just you know, so much of the instruction for higher ed now is moving, you know, online. Uh, if you don't have, you know, that technological, you know, cap- capacity and capability of, you know, of connecting online, then your ability to, uh, you know, achieve a lot of higher education becomes very difficult. You know, a lot of the communications, if you go into the suburbs, you know, a lot of the schools post, you know, the, the assignments for the children online so that parents can track uh, their children's, uh, you know, homework, and can track their performance, and Absolutely. a lot of that. I mean, and, and where is that available for our parents? Uh, because you know, they, not only is it the, you know, the problem of uh, not having the actual uh, hardware of a computer uh, in the house, it's also, you know, the expense. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You know, I mean, you, you know, know, Comcast doesn't give it to you for free, baby. Neither does well, Robert I was about to say, I, I did <laughs> want to tell, pe- let people know that Comcast now, as a result, as part of the merger with NBC, yes. Comcast is offering for all children who um, who meet the eligibility for free lunch at school that they're providing a ten dollar 
internet connection product. There you go. For their homes. And that's just <laughs> the beginning because somebody's right. got to buy the computer. There you um, go. <clears throat> so, you know. And somebody's got to so, learn how to use it, right. <laughs> exactly. This is just so disturbing at so many levels, uh, Barbara Arnwine, that it makes the the notion that there is clearly an attack on all of the achievements, all of the progress that we have made since the uh, Hallmark 1964 Civil Rights Act. Well, that somehow no. we've lost ground, and that we are under attack without protection. No doubt about it. And, you know, you layer everything I've talked about. You know, you layer those big three. Uh, You know, the economic job situation. You Mm -hmm. layer it with the assault on voting rights. You layer it with the educational, uh, you know, um, disconnections and low performance and lack of you know uh, a lack of access and then you add on the the tipper which is you know what makes the house fall and that is foreclosures uh you know there have been about 3 million foreclosures in this country it's estimated that fully one third of all those foreclosures are african americans and latinos a million in other words a million foreclosures. And you what what the story that nobody talks about. You watch, you know, MSNBC, you watch CNBC, you watch Fox News, you watch CNN, the one story no one talks about. You read New York Times, you need read Washington Post, LA Times, Boston Globe, you know, Chicago Tribune, uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. You read all these papers, and you watch all the social media, and, and nobody talks about the fact that the African-American middle class, that roughly one-third of the African-American middle class has been wiped out in the last four years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just wiped and, out. Just wiped out. Just don't. I mean, people and, 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 no and longer been, are middle class. They're now impoverished. Yes. And you don't and everybody, you know, sees it, but we don't acknowledge it. You know, I was walking down the street the other day, um, and I noticed um, you know, a home and I saw, you know, some uh what were clearly, you know, pots uh that have, were out in the in the place and I noticed new cars and it hit me as I was walking around, I said, Oh my god. You know, Barbara, that means a new family has joined that family. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Because most likely they lost their home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and know, it, and, and you know the thing is, you talk about one, you talk about the numbers of African Americans who yes. have been victims of predatory lending, predatory oh. mar- um, mortgage products, oh. and losing their homes. And what does that do to a family? I mean, to lose your house. Is to is the same thing to those of us who are not losing our, our houses as if the house burned out down without any home insurance. And That's what it's, it's like. It's devastating. It's all the money you saved up all those years. Exactly. Remember that in order to get a home, mm-hmm. you put down some money. That's right. And all those mortgages all that you paid. 
And now you have nothing to show for it. Your life savings and and maybe ten or twelve years yes. of um, of your greatest investments. And and people got to remember that in the United States, the number one source of wealth. Uh, when you talk about asset and how assets and how you judge somebody's wealth is the home. It's still right. family home. That's right. And so, so you know, it fills our tragic. community with grief and despair. Oh, I mean, you walk down the neighborhoods and see the, you know, the abandoned homes. You see the mm-hmm. foreclosed mm-hmm. homes. You see the. And there are very few of us who don't know someone who's been a victim of foreclosure. And you know, and I think it's another one of the untold. I'm sorry, that's somebody trying to call me. Okay, that's okay. Um, my phone's going to do that periodically. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, people don't think about the fact that, you know, so many of the, you know, so many of the abandoned homes that you see, these are people whose dreams are gone and yes. who's, uh, you know, who have lost that wealth and lost that ability, and many of them never should have been paying the kind of mortgages they were paying exactly. uh, because they were steered, because they were African-American uh, or Latino, they were steered into these subprime loans. Mm-hmm. Remember that, you know, studies that have been yep. done on subprime loans shows that the majority of the people who had them could have afforded regular loans, oh, prime that's right. loans. And they would not have had that high interest rate, those you know acceleration clauses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would not have had you know those yo-yo lo- loans. Uh, they would not have those ARMs and would have had you know uh, fixed, uh, you know pretty fixed and, and good interest rates. Instead, they paid exorbitant interest rates and had all Great. these crazy exactly. instruments. Exactly, it was a and, new generation of redlining. Instead was, of redlining, oh. no, you don't get the loan. It was redlining. Yes, we'll give you the loan at the highest interest rates that we can figure out and formulate in your mortgage payments. Absolutely. In your credit card payment. And it's absolutely tragic because, you know, so many people, you know, lost their, you know, now now not only do they, when they, you know, when you have to leave that home and abandon that home, you also lose, you know, your credit rating. And then you get double whammy because one of one of the studies that the lawyers committee has done, uh, you know, shows that you know over sixty percent, and we believe higher, employers use your credit rating as a reason not to hire people. Are you exactly? So you know, it's, it's a one of triple the- double <laughs> ugly whammy. You have, I mean, you know, one of the things that you didn't touch upon when we were talking about jobs was the role that race discrimination plays in the high unemployment rates in our community as well as how it (laughs) plays out in destroying the middle class, the the, uh, black middle class. Listen, you know, the persistence of racism in our society is the number one barrier and problem for black people in this country and for Latinos. Uh, you know, persistence of racism is horrid. Uh, when you look at it, you know, African Americans, there was a study that came out three years ago that says, um, I believe three three to four years ago, that said that at the rate of progress that's being made for 
African Americans in our society in educational attainment, in income attainment, in uh, you know home ownership. Uh, this was you know four years ago before the recession. Uh, that at that rate, because it's so glacial, it would take more than a century for African Americans to even come close to equality in this country. More it than is a century. So dismal. And that was before the recession. And the recession, as we know, has not has not only not only is now progress for African Americans glacial, what the what the recession did was it actually retrogressed our progress. And mm-hmm. racial discrimination is a real factor. When people say, Ah, oh, you know, race doesn't matter, race you guys just making up excuses, you know, folks should do better by themselves and they not take enough responsibility, there's too many sorry, you know, people around here, blah, 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 and they jive and they're not doing enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's in all races. What is fascinating is that for African Americans, what uh when you look at college graduates you want to see where race plays in the unemployment sector, look at college graduates. There are studies have been done on college graduates, black and white, from the identical college, the identical grades, the identical majors, um, and the you know you know, and people who had, you know, let's say the same, you know, level of, of good verbal skills, et cetera, and in the job market. The African Americans from those same colleges, same good grades, same high achievers, are more likely to have double the unemployment rate than their white counterparts. Right. Yeah. And that's who is uh, protecting us. And that's the issue because you know what is the ugliest factor that nobody wants to talk about in our society is that the largest achievement ever for African Americans and economically was between the years of 1968, roughly, to 1978. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and the recession started for us in 1989. That's correct. It has been ongoing and brutal. Exactly. And uh you know, and it's it's fascinating and one of the reasons why, you know, the the late sixties, um the late half of the you know, six the decade of the sixties and the seventies were good for African Americans was because there were purposeful governmental programs designed to advance, you know, African Americans in our society. And to make up, quote, at that time, you know, through affirmative action, et cetera, for the devastation of, you know, the Jim Crow era. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's one thing we know is that without active intervention, no matter how much, no matter how smart we are about doing our own businesses, no matter how good we are about, you know, buying, you know, in, in our neighborhoods, no matter how concentrated we are and concerted on that, still for the vast majority of our people, progress is not there without yeah. this kind of active governmental intervention. Mm-hmm. But instead what's happening, the other thing I wanted to point out about African-American unemployment, there's another racial dynamic that people don't recognize. Not only is it active discrimination where people are you know, basically saying, hey, you know, times are rough, 
and I'm going to hire the good white guy instead of the black guy. Or as, you know, I once did a uh, focus group where I was, you know, I paid for a focus group, and I actually watched it behind, you know, a veiled screen where nobody realized I was there, and I watched a group of white uh, you know, we had a white focus group working, you know, working whites, uh, and we talked about their racial attitudes, and we were trying to learn more about what they thought. And one woman in the room said, uh, they said, well, what do you think about race, blah, blah, blah. And the woman said, well, my job is to tear up the black resumes. She said it. <laughs> and she felt comfortable because she was in a room of other whites. Everybody who was surprised, hold up your right hand. She said, my job is to tear up the black resumes. And a lot of people chuckled in the room, but some people were clearly upset. And one of the guys challenged her and said, well, why would you do such a thing? And she said, because we all know, we all know, looking at everybody like this was, you know, just as common as, as, you know, as as, as air. Uh, We all know that they're bad workers. And nobody wants to, you know, that they're not going to work out. And every every black we've ever had has been unsuccessful in our workplace. And we're not going to hire any more of them. So when they apply, we let them apply. But once they leave, we tear up their resumes. And <laughs> and it's a big company, by the way. It was not a small, it was a big manufacturing oh, yeah. company. Oh, yeah, I did. And, uh, so these, and they asked her, they said, how many resumes do you think you tear up? She said, oh, at least 350 a year. And I was just like, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then she um, and then she proceeded to say, and, and somebody challenged her and said, how could you just categorically, you know, make a statement of that nature that you know that uh, that blacks uh, don't work out? Well, they don't, and it doesn't matter because we're not going to hire them anyway. And you know, she got defensive, but it just shows you. I mean, that's that's the workplace that. That's where America is. And when jobs are tight, as they are now, because there's not enough jobs out there, there are 15 million people out there who are unemployed, it's ugly. Then what we're seeing, we're seeing two other things in the workplace. We're also seeing proxies for race, Uh, the use of credit checks, the use of criminal background records, and the use of arrest records uh, to screen people out of employment. In fact, uh, you know, some people have told me that they've gone on these, you know, the computer applications because it's very rare now that you get to sit down and somebody interviews you for a job. (laughs) For many jobs, you apply online, and then you wait to hear if you've been selected. Well, some people told me that uh, when they've applied for some jobs on the computer that the application shuts down Uh, the minute they say that, yes, I've, you know, been arrested, before in my life, or yes, I've been, you know, convicted or served time, that automatically it just shuts down. Now, mind you, the majority of these jobs out here in in our workforce have nothing to do with your criminal background record. The question is, can you perform the job? And only certain jobs are sensitive to a criminal background record. Uh, because only so many jobs come into contact with money, only so many jobs come into contact with, you know, persons, uh, you know, and, and for violent offenders, they are easily, you know, identified. But the mm-hmm. majority of people think about it. 
you know, we have one point any day in this society, about a million African Americans are incarcerated. Fifty-eight percent of the people incarcerated are incarcerated for nonviolent, stupid crimes like possession of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm serious. Because of hyper-law enforcement. Exactly. In our Targeted at our communities because we're not the the largest, you know, smokers of marijuana nor the largest sniffers of, of cocaine or the, not even the largest users, users of crack. None of it. It's uh, It's mainly whites. But they're not targeted and they're not prosecuted and they're not pursued the way our people are. And what's ugly about the, um, you know, this whole, you know, this whole use of criminal records is that it's also the majority of people in jail are in for, you know, petty crimes. Uh, But it's all these three strikes laws, all these, you know, mandatory minimums, all these, you know, ugly aggressive laws that take minor crimes and make them major crimes. So not, uh, you know, so I found it fascinating that we sued the Department of, um, you know, that we sued, you know, the Census Department because it uh, uses a arrest records, uh, you know, uh, automatic band. And that means that if you apply for the census to work during the uh, 2010 census, if you had an arrest record, they automatically would inform you that you could not be employed unless you produced a record of disposition of your arrest. Now, check this out. Seventy-five percent of jurisdictions keep no such records. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a, you know, for all practical purposes, a real bar. When we went right. into discovery and we asked, you know, uh, you know, how many people, and we looked through the records to find out how many people had been barred by this practice, the number was 700,000 people. That's stunning. That's absolutely 700,000 people. And I would have been barred because, you know, I'm an activist, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a civil rights activist. And which you have an arrest record. I, of course I do. I better. You know what I mean? Because I, you know, I have the, I, you know, I can't just sit around and and treat the society as normal. Mm-hmm. It's because it's not normal. It's abnormal and it's artificial and having all these, you know, racial barriers. So what I, you know, so I've been, you know, arrested, you know, protesting apartheid or protesting whatever, uh, you know, sitting down, and I would not be able to work for the census. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, that's just unacceptable. Uh, the other. Uh, the other uh, one that, that people use is credit checks. Now, remind mind you, the you know the FICO scores and uh, credit scores only exist for one purpose: to determine if you have good credit, to in order to give you good uh, credit, in order to provide credit to you. This it never was designed as an employment test. It never was designed for that purpose because it has no relationship to employment. Yet employers use it. They use it for janitorial jobs. They use mm-hmm. it for teachers. They use it for any any job. What does that have to do with your performance? Mm-hmm. What does your credit record have to do with anything? In fact, there's not one study 
that has anyone has ever done, including banks, showing that there's any relationship between a person's credit record and their ability to do a job. In fact, the studies that have been done prove the opposite. They prove that the majority of people who steal or do wrong on a job are people who had perfect credit records when they started the the, the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's predictive of nothing. It's just another easy barrier that people know that it's going to knock out African Americans and, frankly, Latinos, because our two communities have the highest, you know, records of bad credit in this society. Mm-hmm. And that's another story. That's another well, story. Let me let me interject uh, a question here for for our audience and and for you. If we are faced with having to challenge the kind of injustice, the kind of distortion of the civil rights laws that are on the books, if we have we clearly need to be challenging those. How do we do that in the face of a judiciary that seems to be dictated to, formed by the corporate takeover strategy in this country? For well, instance, if we ever get to the credit, uh, credit using credit scores and employment issue at the Supreme Court, we ain't going to win. <laughs> but guess what we but guess where we do win? And what's been fantastic is that in the last year, last I would say two years, um, you know, a number of states have adopted laws banning the use of credit checks uh mm-hmm. as an employment device. And what we need is movements in every state to do that. There are about, oh, I forget how many, you know, six or so that ban now, that did not ban two years ago. And, and that calls for more activism. Exactly. So you need to know if your state is one of those states that does not have such a law, and you should get busy. And your chapter, you know, whatever organization you belong to, or sorority or fraternity or whatever, needs to get busy. Or even if you are, you know, somebody who doesn't belong to, you know, traditional organizations, but you care, you need to be writing your late legislator, your state legislature, legislators, and saying, I want you to look at the laws that are in Maryland and Connecticut and in other states and adopt these kind of bans. Because, that, because once it's law, then the courts aren't going to touch that law, mm-hmm. uh, not mm-hmm. that law, uh, because there's nothing you know, uh, you know, uh, that would bring it into you know court review. Uh, I think that you know we have to. The one thing I've learned in this job that I'm in is uh, we have to use the multi the multiplicity and of you know arenas that are available to us to make advances. When the courts are difficult, we go into the legislatures. When the legislatures are difficult, we use communications. When communications isn't working, we use, you know, public policy. When public policy isn't available, we come up with, you know, executive orders, 
I mean, we do whatever it takes to advance the cause. And there's no one arena that is the only arena. Because and when it comes to racism, there's no silver bullet. You know, it takes a, a vast array of, you know, a multifaceted, you know, uh, attacks and strategies to defeat what is a hydra-headed monster. Uh, you know, and that's what racism is. I like that is. term, hydra-headed monster. That's exactly it what it is. It's a hydra-headed monster, and, and the rascal has the nerve to, you know, to, you know, once you cut off one head, remember what Hydra did? You would cut off the head, and then it would grow a new head, and the new head might look different. So let's take, uh, let's take an example. You uh, cut off the head that says, you know, blacks aren't, uh, you know, uh, good enough to be the president of the United States. So you elect a black president. And then, and you cut that head off, but then a new head comes up and says, okay, it's a post-racial society. Because we elected mm-hmm. a black president, so that means there are no racial barriers in this country. And, and then so, when we get rid of that, we cut that head off, which we have Another head yet. comes up and says, and, oh, and, well. In the name of Rick Perry. Right, exactly. It says, well, you know, you know, these, uh, he's, he's just not that, you know, he's, uh, because he's black, you know he's gonna take. Uh, he's gonna do too much for black people, so he better not do anything for black people. I mean, you know, you get all these. It's hydra headed because every because it's so ingrained and racism is so ingrained and so entrenched and so embedded in our society yeah. that I'm just amazed by it sometimes. I mean, I think that what has fascinated me uh, in the last couple of years in watching the you know anti Obama uh, President Obama rhetoric has been watching how much of it is ingrained in the old stereotypes of the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Yes. You know, the pictures of him, you know, eating watermelon. You know, the pictures of him with the bug eyes. My God. I mean, that's 30s stuff, right? Yeah, Uh, yeah. You know, pictures of, you know, know, the big Sambo mouth. Uh, You know, the the pictures that make him, you know, have look like a Sambo. I mean, it's amazing how ingrained this stuff is how it it never dies, that it's just right under the surface, just waiting to, like a weed, just waiting to, you know, pop up again. And, you know, I just think that we have to understand as activists and as people who care that our job is never done, that uh, that because it's so embedded uh, that Mm -hmm. we, in order to embed progress, we have to be constantly vigilant and constantly yeah. fighting and struggling. Yeah. I have a wonderful, wonderful plaque um, in my office, and it <laughs> says, the work of justice is never done. Yes. And and it is absolutely true. Yes. And until we, until we learn that we are not in a post-racial era and that we still continue to re- be required to carry the mantle. Yes. Uh, we're going to continue to face this. Barbara, we've got to take a break, but when okay. we come back, I'd like for you to take a few calls from um, our audience. People are waiting to talk with you at <laughs> 347-838-9852, and I know you've got to go to church in the morning <laughs> uh, because a good soldier has to go get their armor 
cleaned. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you, they always get the rejuvenated and get, you know, yeah. I mean, there's just so many blessings yeah. that come from a great God. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Barbara Arnwine. She's the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. And we're talking about the erosion, the attack on the progress in civil rights that we have made for decades. And we'll take your call when we come right back. You don't get up and try to do something. God is not going to put it in your lap. There's no need of running and no need of saying, Honey, I'm not going to get in the mess. Because if you are born in America with a black face, you are born in the mess. Let's move, let's move, let's move. Justice, justice, liberty, liberty, resistance, truth, truth, justice, just liberty, never Director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Thank you for joining us to talk about payday lending, voter registration, voter rights, redistricting, judicial diversity. We're talking justice tonight with a contemporary true warrior and drum major for peace and justice. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being with us, and Barbara, again, thank you for being with us. And your your, your top three are right on the money. Well, it's, and, yeah, I'm sure people can come up with others, and uh, you know, and obviously we work on so many others, uh, you know, yeah. other areas. But I think they, you know, they just they they jump up and slap you in the face. The most ugliest ones out there. That's right, and I, I'm 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 especially. Uh, concerned about the issue of 
the immediate assault on voter rights, uh, voter uh, suppression campaigns across the country, the states that you named, because there is and a tremendous amount of money behind these very real campaigns. We're going to well, go to when, our phones. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Barbara. No, I was going to say, when people say they want to take the country back, they mean it. Oh, yeah, and, uh, they and, do. And, and when you, I mean, whenever you hear that, that term, you should say, back to where? And I would say back to the 50s. Yep. Uh, that's what they, Absolutely. That's their ideal. That's, and if people do not remember, which is why I played that clip at the beginning of the program tonight, that was Alex Rodriguez, who is um, a long, long-time friend. Yeah. Who's, who was talking about how he experienced 1968 and the relief that black people felt at that time to come from under the burden, finally, Mm -hmm. of Jim Crow. We're going to go to our phone, 773, you're on the air. I respect you with Barbara Arnwine of the Lawyers Committee. What do you think of the list of 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 the three things? Well, good evening, Janice, and good evening to your guest, Dr. Uh, Barbara Anwar. Um, I look upon, she's absolutely right, and what I'm hearing about, especially about the voter suppression, and it's more troubling than anything that the Justice Department has been silent. (laughs) We have, they are in a position right now, they're, at the the cost of disenfranchising over 33 million people across the country. And if 25 million people didn't show up in 2010, what's the disenfranchisement of 33 million going to mean to this president? Uh, And add that along with the disgruntled, disillusion, discontent, malcontent, uh, progressives and liberals who just are, are disgusted with this president, the base that he has fractured. I, what I view this as, they come at you from the voter uh, suppression. They come at you with the uh, unemployment and the and the racism that is involved in hiring by choosing your uh, credit ratings and the whole night. They come at you from so many angles from so many directions that it becomes impossible to push back on all of them. So it's like sending it's like sending two hundred thousand uh to attack a camp. Eventually hmm. they will run it. And that's exactly what they're doing with all of these uh multiple think tanks around the nation and you know how the Koch brothers have eighty five different think tanks. This is what they do. They yeah. start off the tsunami of really uh, unlawful and, you know, um, discriminatory rules and practices. And then they make you defend them, knowing that, A, you don't have the resources, B, you don't have the manpower. But what I don't understand about our president is that the Department of Justice has the limitless resources. And they should be the ones on the front, on the forefront, along with the ACLU. And, of course, you know, the Civil Rights uh, Law Center. I mean, 
it, it's, you know, it, it's overwhelming. And it gets to a point where you, I just sit and shake my head because there's no way we are going to defend all of the fronts. And that's what they're counting on. Right. Uh, I am so glad that you called in. Thank you because you're making some points that I want everyone to think about. Uh, once again, you know, in uh, 2008, uh, 11% of the electorate that voted in 2008 lacked a driver's license. That was 20 million people. If you look at the same numbers today, going into 2012, and you look at, you know, the other barriers that have been thrown up, that's 33 million people who now will have difficulties being able to register to vote and to vote because they don't have these Department of Motor Vehicle-issued photo identifications. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, when you mentioned the think tanks, uh, people should realize that all these laws that popped up uh, in this country requiring these um, you know, motor vehicle uh, driver's licenses in order to register to vote and in order to vote, except for, as, uh, as uh, Janice uh, correctly pointed out, except for uh, with, um, you know, af- uh, if, except for those people who, you know, vote their absentee ballots. Uh, what's fascinating is that all of these laws look identical. They are basically cookie-cutters, laws. And they come from a strategic campaign. And it comes from a group called the American Legislative Exchange Council. Go look them up. Uh, Look them up. There's been some great websites created in the last uh, month called, uh, you know, Alec, uh, A L E C, uh, Alec is what some people say, or Alec. Uh, American Legislative Exchange Council. There's one called Alec Exposed, which uh, goes through and actually publishes their philosophy about this country. And you will see that one of their philosophies is to make voting rights very difficult for for you know for most people. And I also want to point out that the Tea Party. Uh, that some of the Tea Party leaders have actually said that we need to go back to the, once again, back to the good old days when only people with property could vote. Mm-hmm. Well, so they're back in you know, the post. <laughs> yes. For our, for our audience, I have posted in our chat room, if you want to know more about ALEC, American Legislative Exchange Council, you can go to ALECExposed. Dot org, right. A-L-E-C exposed dot org. Go to it. It's, uh, it's absolutely fascinating because this is a force that most of us have no idea about, but it's really affecting everything you're watching happening in this country right now. People say it's the Tea Party. I say look at Alec uh, because the Tea Party makes up a lot of noise, but Alec gets the one the doing the Tea Party the is only one branch. That is right. used by Alex. But on the DOJ, on the Department of Justice, you're absolutely right to point out that the Department of Justice needs to be more aggressive in the area of civil rights enforcement. They and how can people make that happen, more. Barbara? Uh, people can do a couple things. 
pending before the Department of Justice right now are several critical matters. One is the state of Florida has submitted uh, to, they originally had it submitted to the Justice Department, but because the just, they have now, you know, dodged the Justice Department and gone to the federal courts uh, to try to get their, you know, horrible voter suppression law called HB 1355, the discriminatory provisions of it approved by the federal courts. And the Department of Justice needs to be active in that case and and object and fight any approval of those laws. You should exactly. write them and tell them that they got a hotline. They have uh, their own email, you know, commentary, uh, you know, um, address that you can go to. Just look up Department of Justice mm-hmm. and you know, and just write, you know, the Attorney General uh, and say that you want them to fight that. Also, they have pending before them the South Carolina uh, voter suppression law. They also, also the state of Florida has, uh, I'm sorry, the state of Texas has filed to, um, you know, in federal court to try to pre-clear their um, voter suppression law. Now, note when I say pre-clear, that under the Voting Rights Act of 1965, because certain jurisdictions in the country had a history of discrimination, blatant, vicious, vitriolic discrimination against black voters, they were required that before they could institute any new law, practice, or procedure on voting, that it had to be reviewed by the Department of Justice and approved. That was one route, or they could go to a federal court and try to get a declaratory judgment from that court that the law was not discriminatory. So Texas and Florida now are in the federal courts. We need justice to get involved in these cases and to fight. And and with the South Carolina submission, they need to reject it. It's a terribly vicious law. And so those are things that people can do is demand that the Department of Justice, uh, you know, oppose these voter suppression laws. You and, can and say that sure and you when say you, it loud. Make sure that when you write to the Department of Justice or you communicate to the White House on these issues yes. that you are ceasing the other. Letter to the Department of Justice ought to have a CC to the White House. Yes. Letter to the White House ought to have a CC to the Washington Post and the Department of Justice. You see, that is the way you start bringing in. And I cannot underscore more the need for us to start writing letters to the editors of our local papers and to the national papers. You know, you, because. You, go ahead. Because your activism counts. You know, exactly. the one thing, you know, in these states, if you go to the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, if you go to our website, which is lawyerscommittee.org, you will see what's called the map of shame. The map of shame is the map that shows all these states that have either passed these horrible voter suppression laws or the states that are trying to pass them. And what you're going to see on that map of shame at lawyerscommittee.org, you're going to see that four of the states 
that passed these terrible laws, that those laws were vetoed by their governors. And so you're going to see that in the state of North Carolina it was vetoed. You're going to see that it was vetoed in the state of New Hampshire. You're going to see a a veto in the state of Montana. And that's because people got up and they protested. They made their voices heard. It was also vetoed in Missouri. But if you look at the map, you're going to see all these, quote, states in yellow, and those are states where they're still trying to pass these laws, over 30 states. And you're going to also see uh, in Ohio that in the I'm sorry. In addition to Ohio's ugly, you know, laws, uh, they you know tried to pass a voter suppression law uh, for voter identification, and they did not succeed because the uh, state legislature there uh, could not pass it because citizens were outraged and were writing and marching and making their voices heard. People, if we don't take to the streets, if we don't take to the phones, if we don't write, if we don't agitate, if we just sit back, people will take this backwards. So we need to do what needs to be done. And exactly. it's it's important that people not lose sight. Alpha, thank you for your call and thank you for your insight. Uh, oh, we're wonderful. Go- yeah, 405, you're on the air. I respect you. You're talking at our common ground with Barbara Arnwine, the director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Well, likewise to you, uh, Janice, and uh, on, online ah, from the Lawyers Committee, I want to uh, greet you also. I would imagine that your workload is somewhat overwhelming. Am I right or wrong? <laughs> we won't even talk about her workload. Okay, because uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and vent. This woman time. I had, is unbelievable. I haven't talked in a while. I've been Good very, year, very Freddy busy Don. trying to uh, do what I need to do. <laughs> and uh, what I, you know, during my, let me just say this here, during my, uh, formative years working in civil rights and working under uh, Eleanor Norton Holmes, EEOC, when the doors were slightly cracked open and uh, the, the the reason why they were opened a little bit is because we had what I call real activism in the area of civil rights. At present, we have really no real substantive mass following of our people to get out in the streets and to demonstrate and to uh, let uh, whomever know uh, that we are being wronged and mistreated as we have been for over 400 years in this country, let alone around the world, how blacks have been treated from day one. Now, with respect to the uh, uh, progress that we have made, it appears to me that we are, and I agree with you, uh, Ms. Arnwine, we're regressing. Yes. 
you know, we're regressing, falling back into the uh, impoverished state from which we uh, have been uh, relegated and, and directed into. I am of the opinion that we don't have time now to try and uh, uh, wait on the uh, path of justice to file our cases. They're overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed. Uh, not are they only not only overwhelmed. You have to question their appetite for really trying to address civil rights issues in this country anymore. Ever since uh, Nixon got in, that was clue to me that the era of civil rights was on the down, on, on the decline. And I am sort of a lone wolf. I think that our people, if they picked up books like uh, 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 The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson, if we picked up books like The Destruction of Black Civilization by Chancellor Williams, if we picked up books like books like Airing Dirty Laundry with Ishmael Reed, author, and Powernomics by uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, uh, we will know what the problem is. We, we, we have been talking, 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 talking about the problem. But what in the world are we doing to address the reality that our people face and our children face today, when the jobs have been directed overseas, when these states are asserting states' rights and are cutting off as much as they can of they call uh, the FAT, which is the uh, entitlement programs they claim, but these entitlement programs, so-called Head Start, uh, 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 women's rights issues, children's rights issues. Uh, Rick Perry is now uh, are running for president, boasting about how he got people off of welfare and how the poverty rate has dropped. Yeah, the poverty rate has dropped and the prison rate has risen. So I'm 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 of the 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 ilk that says, uh, what am I going to do? Because when I look up in the mirror in the morning, I see myself. And I don't see no one else behind me except me. And I am responsible for light, electricity, uh, paying, paying, uh, earning my, my living. Uh, I am responsible for uh, my children. I am responsible for my wife and, and, and myself. Just the other day, I had come in about 11.30 from the airport, Stopped by Church's Chicken to get a little bite because I was my wife and I was was kind of hungry. The chicken was tough as they had the stuff in there. It must have been sitting under the hot light for at least three or four hours. So when I got home, I just put it in the refrigerator and said, "Well, when in a week or so, whenever I get a chance, I'm taking <laughs> chicken back." So I I waited and 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 until I got in the vicinity of Church's, I walked in and I asked for the manager. And it was it was an Arab, and he's saying, well, uh, you know, and I explained my problem. I said, look, man, I said, uh, you know, I bought some chicken here. Uh, the chicken was uh, uh, hard and brittle, and it's been it was sitting under the lights. It was 11:30. You close at noon, 12. I probably shouldn't have stopped anyway, but I took a chance that I might get some 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 chicken that I I probably could digest without uh, 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 losing a tooth. 
and I didn't holler. I was very uh, calm, cool, and collected. And he looked at me and says, "Oh no, uh-uh, no, 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 no. You know, you know, uh, we're not gonna refund that." I'm not. You should have come in uh, uh, a week ago, or when 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 you came by, you should have called. I said, "Look, I said I didn't think it was necessary to call. I'm the customer. It's only two little ninety-nine cent wings." I said, "And and I figured it wouldn't be a problem to replace it." Oh no, I'm not going to do it. So I said, "Okay," and I hollered, shouted to the whole restaurant, and I raised my voice and I said, "Look at this establishment. This is how it." Treats its people, its customers who are making money, bringing it in to pay their salaries. And I got some dry chicken here that was not uh, uh, edible, and bring and I'm bringing it back. And they don't want to refund my little money for it. I'm not looking for the money, but it's the principle. And so uh, people were in there were shouting, "Yeah, give him his money back!" Give me. No, he stood his ground. I'm not giving him nothing. Don, uh, in, so your, I, okay. in your in your in your conclusion about that, how do you see that on the political landscape? Well, let me tell you what happened right quick. I went and took my chicken bag out and picketed in front of that chicken. <laughs> he called He called the police, and the police said, you know, you can't go into the establishment. I said, thank you, ma'am. I'm not going to stay in the establishment. I said, but I'm going to get out here on the curb in the sidewalk area, and I'm going to pick it. And then she says, well, that's fine, you know, because there's nothing they can do on that. So I picked it for about 30 minutes before he got my chicken ready for me. You understand? <laughs> and it wasn't the fact that I wanted the chicken. The problem is is that's the way we have been maligned, misunderstood, mistreated in this country. So I come down to say when I look in the mirror, I see myself. I am going to... Uh, not try to go through the court and wait, just like my dad. My dad is 88 years old and finally doing, from World War II, finally got his 100% retirement when they discharged him from service back in the 40s, before I was even born, this week. Uh, and, and he had to go fight the system, and he's 88 years old, finally got what he's, 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 he should have gotten way before I was born. But well, that's Don, just let me science. reassure you that... This woman that we are talking with tonight, she's out there on your behalf. She and her her legion of lawyers are working as hard as they can to try to turn the tide on the attack that you see, that I see, that Alpha from Chicago sees, everybody sees. Yes, but that's that's one organization, and I applaud her. And I do not doubt her uh, uh, dedication. But, I mean, it's like trying to swim upstream or putting your finger in the dike on a compared yeah. level well, in well, the let nation. Me get in. Let me get into this uh, with you also. Because I, I, uh, I, I wanted to say a couple things. First of all, you're not alone. Uh, if you, you know, the one thing I love about you know, my ability to you know, to do this work is that I see people all over the country who are fighting. And it's just amazing how many people are out there. We need to learn how to be more concerted, how to find each other. And Facebook has been a good, you know, resource for me. I have found more, you know, strong activists, people who care and people who are fighting. Plus, you know, because I travel all around the country constantly, 
You know, I'm interacting with people, and it's not as lonely as it may appear. People care. A lot of people have no idea how to organize. They need leaders. They need uh, to, you know, connect with other people. A lot of people are sitting out there thinking that they're alone uh, and not knowing that they got somebody right right around the block yeah. who is who has the same concern. So we need to, you know, start organizing and letting people coalesce. Uh, the other thing I want to say uh, is, you know, there's the old saying, you know, Frederick Douglass, we got to keep teaching, you know, te- keep teaching our people, keep teaching our children, keep teaching our everybody who cares about justice in this society that power conceives nothing without a demand. And what you did on the, with that chicken was definitely you you showed that you made a demand. Now, I want to go back to somewhere you started, and that was on the question about what's going on. I do think that everyone listening, please look up the Pew study, P-E-W study. It came out on July 26, 2011. And what it shows is the current economic status of the wealth gap in our country. And what it shows is that in the last, since the recession, that Latinos lost 66% of all their wealth during this recession. African Americans lost 54% of all their wealth during this recession. And white Americans lost 16% of their wealth during this recession. Subsequently, the average white household is worth 113000 $149. The average Hispanic household is worth $6,325, and the average African-American household is only worth $5,677. Exactly. Now, that illustrates your illustration there highlights my point exactly. Exactly. We have been fighting and, 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 and organizing and 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 calling for marches and the millions march today in uh uh New York Manhattan by uh Minister Louis Farrakhan couldn't even draw a hundred thousand people. The few thousand that were there were they were begging to come in front of the cameras so they could at least yeah. have a camera shop full to show the people. The people yeah. were couldn't even donate uh ten, fifteen, twenty uh or fifty dollars out of their pocket to 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 try to carry this event further or to do something with this money that the, the, that the nation wanted for their schools and the and and, and the uh, college that they have. So, Don, you you're, you're, you know what the issues are. You've been you've been on the you've been a listener for a long long time, and what we have to do is Barbara has so elegantly said we got to keep teaching. We got to. Te- yeah. Every moment has to be a teachable moment for those of us who know. And we've got to go. We, yeah, we, we need to. Go we need, I agree. We need to teach, but we need to be doing something. Right. As but we and, and, and you do, and not you waiting. Do stuff. Not, the train has left the station. Yeah, it's already do, gone. Right. So you but you do the, stuff by connecting. You don't you, do stuff by sitting in our homes and fussing. We do stuff by connecting with other people who care. And yes, then but, but, figuring out how we're going to organize 
are been organizing for years and years and years. Organizing for what? Ain't nobody done nothing. You just read the statistics about where we stand now. We need to, as individual household leaders of our families, leaders that uh, that uh, that uh, that, uh, that you see in the mirror, we need to learn this system how of white supremacy, how it operates, and man- and learn how to to move or re- uh, maneuver within it. And I get your reparations, take your care. reparations by learning how this system operates and taking advantages of the weaknesses in this system while we while while there is yet yeah. this is daylight out here. You see Romney is 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 is, is a, a two hundred and fifty something million. These these millionaires run these people running for office don't give a damn about poor folk, let alone black. And exactly. so if we don't take I'm gonna get off after this. I wish you had opened it up earlier. If we don't take the, the leadership personally, uh, and being the example to our families, to the people that we run across, uh, uh, I believe we're going to accomplish more change by uh, interacting with uh, 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 that type of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a plan rather than uh, relying on uh, to, uh, 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 some mass gathering of people to get together and do nothing. That's, that's what's happened what over the last forty-six years. What happened yes. to the Million Man March? Not a damn thing occurred. And there's a million All the money. But no, what, no, 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 no. You're so wrong. Now wait a minute. I gotta, I gotta dispute you on that because in this country, in three weeks, uh, you know, millions of African American men will be walking their children to school. That is the Million Father March. That is a outshoot. Now, you, you, do you really believe march. that that's going to happen? Oh, absolutely. It's happened every year for the last three years. If you've been uh, following, uh, millions I mean, just because of the media doesn't cover walking, it, millions just said, because millions the media doesn't cover it doesn't mean it's not happening. No, I haven't just heard about media, it at all. Yeah, oh, listen. Uh, you know, I got little... That's because our media doesn't cover it. Because in the in the city of Jackson, for example, in Jackson, Mississippi, where they did cover it, they showed a hundred thousand fathers walking their children to school in okay. response, let, and that's I, happening I, all over the country. Let me I ask you that. Since we're doing so, so since we walking so well and doing a so well with we hundreds, hundreds of millions of people that you said that's marching out there, no, I didn't say there. hundreds of millions. I didn't say that. Now you be fair. No, no, I, I said, said millions of people then. I what, said, what, I what, said. What have, how far have we come? How far as a mass pe- a group of people, black folk in this country, as a result of those marches, what have we gained? Now, why are you asking me that question? I mean, you know the answer to that. And what I'm saying to you is that we don't win by just striking out at anybody randomly. we got to be strategic in everything that we do. And it does take more than our anger to be able to make progress. That's it takes more I than our anger to make change. It takes strategic why. planning and strategic execution of our plan, but we can't do it by ourselves. That's why, I, I, that's why I began by listing those books for us to read as individuals and learn what's going on, learn about this system, learn its weaknesses, so we as individuals and families, we can not only 
uh, align ourselves with organizations like yours, but we can get off our dusty old, old rusty and learn and get the knowledge because knowledge is power, not necessarily uh, uh, having a high school education or a doctor this or a doctor that. Knowledge. These, these not- books. Or, or knowledge, and once we get this stuff in us, and then we can learn how the system operates and find out what of our gifts that we have been given by God that we can use to feed our families, teach our kids, and make sure that they have some means of survival once we legacy, once we leave here, because it was more, we had more in the 60s as far as a group of people than we have now. The leadership we have now, for the most part, are part and parcel of, of, of the, of the, uh, uh, of, of the, of the uh, eating with the Pharaoh. Don, I've got to go to another caller. I know you do. I knew we, you, I, I wish you would have had got that gotten on, but, on early. You know, but thank you very much. Well, I, I respect Dr. Antoine and I respect Janice. I respect the opportunity to speak. I am hand in hand with you, glove in glove with you. I'm just going to do some other things because I don't see a whole lot, you know, that, that in my lifetime that's been changed. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> thank you, Don. You know, one of the things is something that you you said, Barbara, uh, and for those of you who have just joined us, uh, we're talking with Barbara Arnwine, who is the Executive Director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. You have underscored in the discussion with Don our need to be mindful about our resistance, to be mindful about how we organize, to be mindful, how we educate a collective group of resistors. Exactly. And I just, you know, I think that it's so important. One of the biggest dangers we can make and that we do constantly is those of us who care, and because we care, we get outraged by the system constantly, and we should be, but it's very important for us to realize that change doesn't happen because you sit and you study. It does happen because you take the knowledge that you acquire from your study and you find others who you can study with and educate and who share your values and who unite with you. You know, every church is a microcosm of that principle, right? You know, every church is, you know, a group of people who have come together with a collective vision and a collective goal, uh, and that is to, you know, do a form of worship. The same is true of activism, is that we come together because we have a common analysis, a common passion for justice, and a common concern to make sure that change is going to happen. And that doesn't happen from my just sitting around mad at the rest of the folks who don't do what they need to do. It comes from my finding people who will do the right thing, who will help work, and they are the people who make the changes. So when I'm talking, you know, one of the problems you can always make is to underestimate what is going on in the country. You know, there is, uh, you know, every day in this country somebody is standing up for the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, and we, we have to realize that there's a blockade, and the blockade is called the media. Exactly. And they don't tell the stories. They're not going to tell the stories about, like I was talking about, the you know, the million father marches that are going to be happening no, in the next three weeks. No, they're not going to tell that story. They're not going to tell not... that story. 
And then people think, hey, no, nobody out there is doing anything. Fathers don't care. It's just not true. You know, there will be millions, uh, you know, walking with their kids. Right. And hundreds of thousands. I I, I was thinking about how much we we tend to value uh, what we call our progressive cable news channel. (laughs) MSNBC hasn't reported anything, any of the cases that the Lawyers Committee has handled in in the last five years. Heck, I mean, heck, Craig Matthews got on the uh, the line, uh, got on the air, and was actually arguing for these voter ID laws. Exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, you know exactly. listen, we don't have. We got to learn to develop, you know, our voice, our perspective, and that's why your show is so key, and that's why we're all so blessed that you're there. Uh, because you bring that unique perspective, and people need to search out for the stories and search out for the good things people are doing because all those laws I mentioned that yeah. have been passed in the last couple of years uh, to block the use of credit checks as a form of employment barrier, those laws just didn't happen. Yeah. They happened because yeah, some like, activists right. got together and started fighting for those laws. Exactly. Uh, you know the 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 fact that we were able to get those law the bad voter suppression laws vetoed in those states and we stopped it, and you know all these other states, that's because people got out and they got active. So don't tell me there aren't people out there doing stuff. There's a lot of people doing exactly. stuff, but there's exactly. no cameras are going to follow them. No reality show is going to follow them. Nobody's going to make them a celebrity. They're not going to be right. a Kardashian. They're not going to be, exactly. you know, given that kind of credit. Barbara, we're going to try to take uh, one or two more calls before <laughs> you have to leave, and I really do appreciate We booked you for an hour, and here we are. We're still talking. Woo! 972, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. 972. Good evening, Janice, and good evening to Dr. Arn Wine. It's a pleasure once again to be able to speak with both of you ladies. I'm going to be Thank very you, brief. Sarah from very yes, quickly, Sarah. We've only got a few minutes. Correct. And that's why I said I'm going to be very brief. Dr. Don, you're, you're right on point. I um, appreciate what you were stating, but I have not eaten at a church's stick chicken. It's been over 20 years. So ever since the rumor was, was out that they were part of the clan, so wouldn't catch me in a church's chicken. <laughs> but I digress. What, she, what Dr. R. Wine is saying is so in, on point. When it comes to positivity in the black community, such as yes. black men, doing positive things, you're not going to get anything because it goes against the grain of what they want to portray of black men there you in go. society. So they are never going to spotlight it except if he's doing a criminal act, then they're going to there have all the on him to focus on the negativity. It's so we should never, ever want to get any sort of credit from these people. These are the same people who dragged our ancestors over here to work for free. So whatever we're doing, we're going to do it. We're going to spotlight it to visit our community, and we're going to uplift it. I'm glad you mentioned about the voting rights as well as with the credit and what the sham that they're doing to people to keep them out of the job market. Yes. Especially people who have been unemployed for a year or two, they're getting blacklisted from getting it coming into the job market. So this is, this is how these people are using to keep yeah. you underfoot because it's not your fault that you couldn't get, get work in two years but they're using it as, as a negative as to why it is that you have not worked Absolutely. in a year or two, and now you're coming back into the market. They don't tell these white women now who stay home to become housewives and take care of their children still for 10, 15 years, and then they come back in the market. They don't hold that against them, but they hold it against the average citizen who has 
no choice because the company downsized and they've been running around from place to place, have these short resumes. They don't want to put all of these little jobs on their resumes so they might leave it blank. They're going to hold that against them as being unreliable people. Absolutely. And, and, and it's very important for people who are listening, if you are an unemployed person, and you have been refused employment because someone says that they didn't want to hire you because you are unemployed, uh, then you need to take, you need to go to the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which is headed by a black woman named Jackie Berrien, who has declared that they will investigate and will sue employers that refuse to hire people because they are currently unemployed. So you need to take that complaint and take it to her. Once again, somebody yeah. doing something positive to make a change. Right. Barbara Arnwine, thank you so much for the time and that you have spent with us tonight. It is invaluable for us to concisely and target what the real issues are and the depth of those issues. And and I, I just want to thank you for for your work. I know that many times um, you would like to be home with your family. You would like to to, to, to be like a normal person, but that's <laughs> never going to happen because uh, my sister, you are a supreme warrior, and I'm just soliciting to all of our listeners to please support the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. We've posted the, the the website link. We've posted the Pew Research Study. We've posted the map of shame at the Lawyers Committee. And we must support and have the back of the organizations in our community that is rep- that are representing our interests. And we must honor, acknowledge, and love the people who soldier for us. And Barbara Onwarn, you are on my honor wall. You are on my love wall. I am constantly in hope and prayer that you and your organization stay strong and that our community supports you. Well, you are wonderful, and I just love the fact that you bring knowledge to the people and that you share it and that you're such a brilliant, brilliant leader. You don't like to talk about yourself in that way, but you are a leader and thought leaders and knowledge leaders and motivators and, you know, people who just, you know, keep telling us all that we can make a better world and that we are capable of doing that, but it takes us knowing. Thank you, my sister, and we look forward to having you. Uh, always. Anytime well, I am greatly it, honored. Just call. That Thank was you. Barbara Arnwine, of the, the Executive Director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Thank you all for being with us, 301. I'm so sorry I didn't get to you tonight, but we're here every Saturday night, and we ask you to speak truth to power, but also speak truth to ourselves. Thank you so much for joining us at Our Common Ground tonight. I've enjoyed being with you. We're especially grateful for your listenership. We thank our many callers and for those of you who have participated in our chat room. And for our guest, 
Harbor Arnois, a genuine, authentic drum major for justice and peace. Please support the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. They're on the front line for you.